0: Welcome to Pop and Lock. I'm Landry Ayers.
1: And I'm Natalie Dauzicki.
0: The topic of today's show is a TV show, one that we'll be discussing. And that TV show is one we have all watched, Parks and Recreation. While it might seem odd for us to talk about a show that glorifies a proud government bureaucrat as its protagonist, there's a lot we can learn from Leslie Nope, her colleagues at the Parks Department, and the citizens of Pawnee, Indiana.
1: We are joined today by the beautiful and poetic, noble land mermaid, Libertarianism.org senior producer, Tess Terrible. Hi. And talented, brilliant, powerful muskox, external relations manager for defense and foreign policy studies at the Cato Institute, Lauren
0: Sander. Hello. So let's grab some apps and zerts, pop open a bottle of snake juice, and treat ourselves to our first question. What can we learn from PNR?
2: Is there anything for libertarians? I think it, I mean, Yeah. I think so. Because a lot of the show is fighting government bureaucracy. (laughs) And that's kind of one of the main plot points in the show is overcoming the red tape of working in government and actually trying to get good things accomplished through, you know, tax dollars and all that jobs.
3: And it's interesting because, you know, Leslie is the star, obviously. She's a sympathetic character. I don't think she ever says what her political affiliation is, so you can guess, but she's she's definitely a little bit more progressive, loves the government, loves government work. But you see the failure, as Tess said, in the government to even create a park. I think it takes five years for them to get a park done. Even to fill in the pit, they have to do it themselves with a bulldozer. So um, with a government-owned property. So it is a little bit interesting how they set it up. You know, Ron is the libertarian. He's kind of a curmudgeon, but he's kind of right, at least in Pawnee.
1: (laughs) I think we'll, we'll really dive into Ron's character a little later on. But something that kind of striked me as well is that Leslie never comes out and says, what political affiliation she has. And she re- we get a whole campaign uh, of hers, which we can also talk about later. Um, but they specifically put, um, for those of you who aren't familiar with the show, Leslie in her office uh, has this like <laughs> pictures of famous female politicians. Um, and in... It includes Nancy Pelosi, Margaret Thatcher, Madeleine Albright, Condoleezza Rice. Her, later on, it includes herself, um, just because it's like influential politician, female politicians. Uh, it also included one of the first women that were city council women of Pawnee. Um, and it's striking because some of those politicians weren't in the same political party. Um, so it's kind of... Almost like a homage to what's come before her, but it's not specifically one-sided. though I do agree with you, Lauren, I think um, from anything from the soda tax that she proposed uh, to her faith in government, it's pretty clear uh, that she is uh, she leans left. But do you think what do you think the show as a whole, is in terms of like a political
0: affiliation i would not call the show libertarian sure there's things we can learn but it definitely does lean on the fact that if good people come together the government can accomplish big things that a lot of libertarians would still be like, no, that's not the point. You're overstepping your bounds. So I think there are things that we can learn. And I what I like about it is that it exemplifies a lot of the problems with government, specifically the bureaucracy and the sort of slow nature of uh, lots of regulation. But you also have you know, a libertarian in the cast who is able to point those things out and say, this is the problem but they can still get things done and it sort of raises more questions, especially by the end of the show for me, because it sort of it, it paints with very broad, not very subtle strokes, especially in the last season. It's like big corporations versus big government fighting over uh, this piece of land in Pawnee. And there's like this big tech company that's looming over that has a lot of power. But then through the power of, you know, togetherness and bipartisanship, they come together and everybody's happy so i guess it raises another question for me is does it does it end on too positive of a note is it i mean i don't want the show to be cynical per se but do you think it could have you know skewered that a little bit more like it kind of did in the earlier seasons
1: i do think i mean like shows like parks and rec the office shows of that nature one they they never know how they're going to end the show when they first started. They never realize, oh, this show is going to go on for seven or eight years because of the popular demand, similar to Friends, right? And I think it did kind of end in like a cookie cutter way, but I just, I think throughout the show, you got a got a glimpse of how government can be can be bipartisan and it can be a bipartisan effort. But I, I think ultimately, it was. The message was government can get it done, Mm -hmm. Um, which is not something I necessarily agree with. But I think as a show,
3: it kind of tied it up nicely in a bow. Well, and I also think there's sort of showing in smaller amounts, you know, in local government and also just a couple voices working this out. So we have the libertarian voice. We have all of the other voices. So I don't even know what they are. And then we have Leslie. I think that shows what can get done when there's not so much hyper-partisanship. When I worked on the Hill, I was always kind of sad because there was a decent amount of bipartisan stuff going on. I mean, nothing gets done unless some bills are passed and, and such. But that's not anything that's ever publicized either. And so it's sort of in people's best interest to be against each other on a lot of issues. And that's big government. So I just think it, it's it's a little, you know, utopian. But I think it is a good idea, you know, in terms of small government and what can actually get done when people listen to each other and and, and know what's going on in their own community as
2: well. <laughs> so I I actually don't find the show so much like propagating governance as the answer to problems. I think what the show is good at portraying is that it's not about good government it's about the people it's about good people i think leslie like, no no matter what her political party would be and i do think they mention it at the end of the sh- show on the final season um i think they're just showing a very very hard working woman who takes her job very seriously and so by the end of the The show and when the series was wrapped, what I got from it is that it's not really a blue or red or working in government. It's about good people trying to get and get things done. And as Ron Swanson (laughs) champions, honest, hardworking people who are trying to do great things for their community and get things done. So I don't really find it. So much a champ the show as a whole, a champion of government work as much as it's a champion for um, individuals like Leslie Nope who kind of dare to dream for a better world and for a better community in the town that she loves so passionately.
0: I would agree with that. I, I think it is it definitely, and a lot of TV shows end up sort of distilling down to this point when it's about factions of of whatever kind, whether it's governments or you know groups of any kind. It's it's about the people and their human nature and their imperfections that both make us you know root for them and strive for them and want them to succeed in the end. So. Uh, That also raises the question of a character like Ron Swanson. So, even as libertarians, they might be like, well, either he's, you know. Too, you know, hardline, and he's he's over the top and paints us in a bad light, or he compromises too much, and he still works for the government and pitches in to help his friends, who many people would see as more progressive, and so he sort of is in this state where he can kind of be portrayed and is sort of a straw man for whoever you like. But to me, the imperfections and the willingness to compromise is what makes him. A likable and realistic character. Um, whether it's—I don't—wouldn't call it realism by any means, but it—it it, it makes him relatable in that aspect. That he he can go back and forth, and there's times where he has to look at his values and say, even if this isn't something that I necessarily represent in principle. There's a reason I need to compromise on this, and it's these people that I care about that force me to do or or allow me to do something differently. Uh, and another character that uh, you brought up, Tess, in, uh, in some discussions that we had had before the show, um, someone that you thought or exemplified the entrepreneurial spirit of the show, is actually Tom Haverford. Uh, can you explain to me why you think he – exemplifies that so
2: i just watched the episode last night where tom hands in his resignation from the government because he wants to go work as kind of an entrepreneur and this is when he starts his i want to say second or third business entertainment 720 which he horrifically and heroically (laughs) fails at um but i think Tom is really where we see what happens when someone with an entrepreneurial spirit works in government. I think even more than Ron Swanson, Tom is sometimes willing to shake things up and change things in government and kind of bring in a a new perspective to really change things for the better.
0: Just another example of innovation.
2: I also think it's interesting because Leslie, mind
1: you, she has come up with lots of great ideas and when she can't come come up with them, she works through the night and forces her uh, colleagues to come up with great ideas. But a lot of the Interesting ideas, not that they were necessarily great, uh, came out of it came from Tom in the sense that he I can't remember what season this is, but like he's just constantly thinking about like what's the next big thing, like what's gonna make me the money. Um, he's very money money centric. But I think it was uh, one of the funnier scenes is when he was trying out glitter and like all of these random products and was like <laughs> glitter in the detergent, glitter in your face lotion and butter. Yeah,
0: sparkle, sparkle, big. Legs- Star.
1: Yeah. And like it, he it was funny in the sense that like I think he knew it like those things were going to fail. Right. But he just kept trying and trying until he found something that was like niche enough for him to make make money off of. And like Tess said in Entertainment 720, he lost all of this money, spent like obnoxious amounts of money on like a limo with a hot tub in the back. And like, he was going to be the next big thing for Pawnee celebrities. Um, So I think, I think it was almost, he also obviously provided a lot of comical relief throughout the show because you're just like every idea he came up with is obnoxious. But I think at the same time, it was kind of nice to see that someone with with new, fresh ideas, was also trying to bring them to the table. And he provided a much different personality than I think some of the other characters did. So have any of you ever interacted with your local city government? Do you know who your local city council member is? Do we know how accurate this show provi- portrays local government?
0: I, uh, Speaking as for when I lived in a town that actually is about uh, about ten thousand people smaller than Pawnee. I realized because if you look it up, the the Pawnee census as of two thousand and ten rates it at a population of just under seventy thousand people, um, which I think was a little shocking for me. But we'll get into Pawnee as this amorphous, mysterious place a little bit later on. Um, I would have known maybe the Mayor Gunderson to my town, but I also never saw them, just like you never see Mayor Gunderson until the very end in Parks and Recreation. Um, but I, I do think it is – I think it's a little bit overestimating people's involvement considering the when you see the – town meetings where they, the the town halls. But also, it's, it's also not because it's not like the entire town comes in every time for these town halls. It's the same core group of familiar faces coming in that always seem to have a problem, which I assume is probably the way it's like in a lot of municipal meetings. Not a big turnout, but consistent turnout from the people who are interested. Like the guy who always starts the chant, her daughter is an idiot. Yeah. Her daughter is an idiot. <laughs> One of my favorites. Um, so I like a lot of things in the show. It's a little of both, I think.
3: Yeah. I don't know from my own experience um, with local government, but just what I know about the people who wrote the show, they just went to different like counties in California and went to town halls and talked to city planners and stuff. And so at least what they built it upon is based on those communities. So, um, I mean, if I lived in California, I would probably go to more town hall yeah. as well. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, it's not small government, but people for sure, when they call their congressmen, it's the same six people every single day. So it does seem like, oh, wow, all these people are calling. They're so interested. But it's, you know, oh hi, Janet, you know. Nice to hear from you again. I'll, for sure, I'll, I'll pass the message along. And that's great because they're really passionate about it. But I don't think, you know, everyone knows they're even congressman or city council member. Maybe
1: this is kind of pessimistic, but I think very few people actually know who their local city councilman is, um, let alone necessarily care slash when they're voting. They have no idea which council member they're actually voting for and what they represent. Um, Maybe that's pessimistic. Maybe it's not very. It probably varies greatly depending where you live as well. Um, But... uh, Also, from my experience being an intern on the Hill, that is completely right. The same people call, you know, when they're calling. The same people call every day at the same time, having the same issues. It's like, sometimes I just wanted to ask something that wasn't related to politics and be like, you know what? How, how is work today? Or just something along those lines. Um, again, it's not local city government. Um, so I'm sure they get even more interesting calls. Uh, but I did think the show, the show did try to tackle what D.C. politics is like in a way. And I and I don't think it was necessarily accurate, but I (laughs) I kind of was wondering your opinion on that. Uh, Anyone?
0: Uh, Well, if we're talking specifically about the Senate race that Ben runs (laughs) with the robot, uh, uh, weird, frozen candidate that we learn nothing about, I think there are portions of that that are that are true obviously amplified for comedic effect but he was honestly a little too perfect like dc is not hollywood by any means and the people that are running for these positions it's a little bit easier to find the flaws and sort of, you know, bring those out than I think that character tried to. He was a little too perfect.
1: I also thought I, I appreciated, especially since I mean, we live in D.C., so some of the the marvels of the city wear off over time. But I kind of appreciated seeing Leslie's perspective on like she was going to hit every museum the first time she got here. She was going to go. She was going to go sit at the Lincoln Memorial and like had all of these like plans. And I just thought it was kind of nice to see, especially from like. Someone – I'm not originally from D.C., though I live here now. And that glow kind of wears off once you've been living here for a while. But it's nice to recognize that, like – it's a it's a big deal for people to come and visit um, the Capitol and all of the great historical sites that are here. And I think that was really funny. And I think they did it well with Leslie because she said she was like, well, I've been to 18 museums today, so I'm just a little tired.
0: <laughs> no matter your political beliefs or philosophy or anything, get yourself a Leslie Nope in your life, you know, <laughs> even if she might push you into some things you don't want to do and be a little overzealous. You need that support from someone, and if you can get Leslie Nope in your life, hold on to her for as long as you
2: can. I have a poster in my office that says, "Be the Leslie Nope of whatever you do." <laughs> <I> love
1: that. <laughs> True fan. True fan.
0: Speaking of DC versus local politics, Pawnee is. An interesting place, as I mentioned before, it's sort of like the, you know, the Simpsons Springfield. Is it trying to be every town America or do you think it's trying to capture a specific type of town?
1: I'm going to go with the latter. I think it's trying to capture a specific type of town, a Midwest town, partially because and I was thinking this throughout watching this show. I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania, not, not too far outside Philadelphia, but my small town was way different than, and handled different types of problems, ma- mainly just growth problems than Pawnee is handling, especially with like the element of the Native Americans and like what they bring to their community. So that, that wasn't as easy. To relate to speaking from like my personal, like small origin, small town, but I know that, like, that is a, a very big deal and much more present in certain small towns in the US.
3: I'm from Portland, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Not really from a small community. Um, I do have a friend who's from the town that's supposed to be near Pawnee, and she says it's fairly accurate in terms of you know their interpretations of people and how there's only one diner and all that kind of stuff. Just like little things that they throw in there or how Tom wants to be a celebrity of the town, which is just, you know, it's silly. There aren't really celebrities there. Um, Or when they try to make a list of all the celebrities on that poster Mm -hmm. and like three of them aren't even from
1: Indiana Indiana. or something.
3: (laughs) They're like celebrity adjacent.
1: Um, But I, I don't know. I guess it was also they're trying to, I guess they were trying to paint, what they thought maybe a majority of their audience would relate to as well so like even if i didn't grow up in a small town like that i could i could still relate to different elements of the town um i mean i was never a big like i didn't fight for parks i'm not like i'm not you big you didn't fight for parks i'm only? not big i'm not you can big, leave i'm not big Just in the that door. movement i mean i love parks but like that wasn't something like that wasn't the hill i'm going to die on um but i think that like obviously that adds a comic relief element to the show as well that they're not like they're not uh, the local IRS f-
3: department or like anything like that so <laughs> well I actually will say now that you mention that um, I wasn't involved in it but I you know I live in sort of a suburb outside of Portland's unincorporated Washington County whatever that means um, <laughs> Oregon um, and they put a Taco Bell like 24 hour Taco Bell drive through in our little neighborhood area and it's kind of you know a nice area and like Everyone banded together to try to get this to, to not happen. And there were protests and they didn't want, you know, like the riffraff going there.
0: It was the town. And I was like, yeah, town. exactly.
3: I was like, this is going to be your kids going there at night. You realize <laughs> that, which is probably what they did realize. Um, but they just thought it was just this horrendous decision to have this giant Taco Bell in the corner of our pristine neighborhood. Um, and they ended up putting it in. I love it. But um, it's kind of funny. It's a very similar thing. They had this empty space and a need for it, and people love it, but people fought against it, and it was a big deal for them. Well, we even saw on the show
1: too, like a lot of a lot of people are resistant to change, whether that's just like the local population or the the, the bureaucrats in government, even when they were um, going through Leslie. When Leslie, I forget, she was in a competition with the guy to live in the 18th century, and uh, they, because they were trying to get rid of like very old laws on the books that were racist and uh, just very on kosher laws and the guy there was one uh constituent of hers that was very against getting rid of those laws he will, he was trying
0: <laughs> to they were it was actually a really interesting uh like you know discussion about like uh like constitutionalism because it's about like whether we should interpret the charter of Pawnee as a living document versus something that is very much set in stone and speculating about what the founders of the town intended for this document. So it's about the Pawnee charter, but it's very much supposed to be reading about like reading about the Constitution. So they're actually debating uh TED party oh, day, Ted, Ted party day. day. Yeah, where yeah. they throw uh, a person named Ted mm-hmm. into the lake uh, because it looks like uh, The word tea when it was tea party day was what it was intended. It looks like a little tea. Yeah.
3: It's a really good point. I kind of forgot about the episode because it really does make you think. You know, he comes in. I think he throws an egg at her. or he something. Does. Yeah. Because he's like, according to the town charter, if, you know, a woman does this, whatever, I can. I can respond this way. I can mm-hmm. throw an egg at her or take her keys or her property or something like that. So, it, I mean, it is. An interesting discussion. I I can't really remember Ron's views on
2: that episode. I I I think they conveniently left him out
3: of that (laughs) episode.
2: Because
3: I can't imagine he'd be okay with it, but, you know? I also thought, like... Obviously,
1: that has a deeper message to the audience and they might not have fully understood that was the conversation going on. But there were some times throughout that episode, too, that Leslie was like, oh, I, I didn't even. Well, that law is outdated. Like, why did you just throw this egg at me? Like, <laughs> um. But it, I thought it was a good way to like bring, you know how we all see those videos. It's like how a bill becomes a law and it's like painted and it's little cartoon. I think it was like a nice way for them to like give you a realistic version of like especially some of these smaller towns that's that have never handled issues that were issues two centuries ago, but I've never like revisited them. So I thought I thought it was interesting.
0: The show does a really good job, I, I think, of, in a fun way, dumbing down large issues and presenting them in a way that you can still learn a lot from. For instance, the ethics trial that Leslie has to go through based on her relationship with Ben. And they bring in this whole slew of witnesses to like drag her through the mud. And she ends up being suspended from her government job because... Because of it, there are a lot of parallels that you could draw, whether it's something like an impeachment trial or other ethics violations for public officials that we see in local government all the time. Uh, So while it can be reductive and silly and over the top, this is just an example I find of where even like a sitcom, can have something important to say and get people to think about certain things like that.
1: On that note, let's talk about taxation. So this show says a lot about taxation. And when I mean like varying degrees of what they support, we have the guy that stands up in the town hall that screams taxation is theft. Then we have Leslie introducing a soda tax because she thinks it's better for the health of their community. And I'm wondering, do you think they put in all these variances in opinion on taxation because they wanted their audience to see that like this is like kind of the wide spectrum. I
0: think like we discussed earlier, it's not overtly political and trying to push any type of agenda. Mm-hmm. It's about the variances in people. And it presents all those perspectives because people believe a lot of very, very different things. And how does does the soda tax bill fails Correct.
3: I think it happens. Or does it no, happen? it happens. People not. get mad when she's running for city council, right? Because oh, that's right.
0: Because passed. she does pass it, but there's a, there's a a moment there where you don't think that it's gonna happen because she's very conflicted about whether she's going wants to alienate voters or if she wants to vote with her conscience, mm-hmm. which is another question that a lot of you know that public officials face. Like, is your job to vote for the things that you genuinely believe because you? have been elected to this position, or are you supposed to be truly representative of the people that have elected you?
1: And I thought, I mean, it was another another episode that was provocative in the sense that they, mind you, they exaggerate um, the soda. So if you think about it too, like, yes, America has very large, uh, our, our beverages are very large, they're full of sugar, all that kind of stuff. So there was an element that was real in that, but I just think the, the visual presentation as well was just so funny. And then Ron comes in drinking, <laughs> One of them and Leslie takes a sip and Anne's like, are you kidding me? So I think, I just think it was funny because... We don't necessarily always see all of the different factors that go into making a decision like that. So, for instance, Leslie had to, like Landry said, Leslie had to consider her voters. Then she also had to consider her friends who support these businesses that have the soda tax. And she also had to weigh, um, which we didn't mention yet, is um, the fact that people were supposedly going to get laid off um, for this decision because the businesses wouldn't be making as much money. So there were a lot of factors that went into play into her voting, ultimately voting for her own. She introduced the soda tax bill, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it was really informative for us to see like all those different decisions
3: um, that went into her vote and kind of understanding what that process was like. I agree with that. And I agree with Landry. I, I think especially that one, I don't think they were really trying to sway anyone. I mean, they used really dramatic examples on both sides, but I think if anything, it just sort of resonated with whatever you might already believe. And it really did show all the different sides of taxation and do we take agency away from people so that they don't drink sugar to death i don't know it's well i know leslie loves sugar but she gets to decide whether she wants all that whipped cream or not you know so anyway but yeah i agree i think it's it's a good idea of showing how much goes into those decisions even things that seem pretty small and and it wasn't really trying to force anyone to see a certain way, which yeah, I really like about the show. Even though Leslie,
0: who has that choice and understands that she you know, has the right to eat as much whipped cream and sugar and everything as she wants, she still then decides to take it upon herself to enact the soda tax to protect the children, mm-hmm. which is a very, very common tactic we see in passing a lot of laws where everything is about protecting the children. Well, if they're
3: liquefying children and feeding
0: it to the townsfolk, <laughs> I guess. Had <laughs> a very dark turn there in that episode, <laughs>
1: <laughs> so i know we we brought him up earlier but let let's kind of flush out ron a little bit more many of the show's critics as well as um the ones who love the show like us see him as a libertarian it's pretty obvious that he's libertarian um one of my favorite quotes from him was he doesn't do a, ron is talking about tom here and he says he doesn't do a whole lot of work around here he shows zero initiative he's not a team player he's never wanted to go the extra mile tom is exactly Exactly what I'm looking for in a government employee. And that that's in one of the first episodes. But it was like when I really started to not only think Tom or not Tom, that Ron was hilarious, but also I started to see pick up on some of his libertarian cues, uh, so to speak. So I'm wondering, what kind of libertarian do you think he represents?
2: I mean, I think he's kind of a classic small l libertarianism he's very much like associated with classical liberalism but i think what's most interesting about ron is his principles besides libertarianism i think he cares a lot about being a good friend about being loyal to the people around him that have supported him for a number of years and i think i think ron swanson is much more than just like the token libertarian i think he is the show's uh you know sample or example of what being a good character is and being a good person and standing by your beliefs because and i think this happened in the soda tax episode you know there's There is a point where Leslie goes to Ron, she goes to Ron for advice a lot. And he's always telling her to stand by her principles and what she knows is right, even when he doesn't agree with her on her opinions and her beliefs.
1: I mean, in one of those powwows too, when Leslie comes for advice, Ron's like, I've tried to fire you three times now. And the reasons I've always like rescinded that, like, that firing is because like you are so dedicated to your work and that like we're really lucky to have someone that, that thinks the way you do and that um, works as hard as you do. And I think that was like one of the moments where you see like, okay, Ron, like, one has a heart and two like really cares about the people that like have invested time in him as well. Even though we get some. Some scenes, I mean, like with the barbecue where he gets all frustrated and drives away with the the barbecue smoker in the back of the truck because no one wants to wait for the food to be done. We get glimpses like that, but a lot of the times, or when Ron gets shot, but um, a lot of the time, it's kind of nice to see him almost teach the audience if they don't have like a perspective on libertarianism before they're watching the show but he certainly give gives that perspective and it gives uh, he gives weight to that perspective um because a lot of times like libertarians get lost lost in the shuffle or they get persuaded to one side or the other because they need it they're needed for a voting block or whatever and I think he really brought like some I, I don't like this word but like publicity to like libertarian so to speak like when you think of like a television character that's libertarian you think of him um not necessarily that you think like he's the best libertarian the best example but that that's someone you think about and i think it's important that popular media has characters like those yeah
2: i i think there's this idea of libertarianism and libertarians just not caring and it's not really about What they think government should do, they're just kind of generally apathetic. And I think that's a really negative view on classical liberalism. And I think Ron Swanson is really a great example of what libertarianism should be because Ron really, really does care and has a lot of stake and a lot of opinions on what he considers good governance and what he considers bad governance that being said, he he thinks that we should, you know, close the post office and, you know. Privatize all government. Privatize all government. And, and that parts. might be. <laughs> no, more that, no more departments. No more departments. Yeah, that might be a couple steps further than I would go as a libertarian. But um, I still think he's a good example of libertarianism because he has principles and he has thoughts and opinions. It's not this general apathetic Government is stupid. I don't care what government does. It just doesn't impact me
0: right. at all. I would disagree just slightly in that I don't think he's a good example of libertarianism, but I do think he is a better example of what a libertarian a person should be Um, because I think that's very much a distinction that we hear a lot is people have issues with libertarianism and whether those are valid or not, that's a much bigger discussion. But I don't disagree with a lot of the people that say they have more of a problem with libertarians Um, because I think a lot of people latch onto that mantle and run with it and go in some really cold, uncaring directions with it. And you can still be a libertarian and genuinely be compassionate and believe that your way of thinking is going to benefit a lot of people in the best way possible. Um, And I think Ron does a good job of like writing that distinction because he has principles, but he's nuanced. and. While he is very much, when people think of libertarian characters, that is not all he is. He – people might think that, but if you really look at it, look at the Swanson Pyramid of Greatness. This like – all of these blocks, this huge poster he creates that sort of visually show all of his principles and the complexity that go into all of his decisions and things like that. So – and I think – Parks and Rec and Mike Schur and Greg Daniels, the uh, creators of the show, their way of storytelling and uh, this sort of genre, but specifically their writing, I think does a really good job of taking characters from a place that seems kind of flat and uh, archetypal from the very beginning And over time, really developing them and fleshing them out and giving them complexities and showing them change and learn than a lot of TV comedies have been able to do in the past. So if you were to watch like The Office, which is another show that they helped create that Parks and Rec was originally conceived as a spinoff of before it was kind of rebooted and retooled, especially after the first season was finished and they sort of tweaked the tone a lot. I think partially it's the format where you get the the scenes of characters interacting, but then the cutaway floating head style interviews where you get the character addressing the camera directly. And it's never really clarified, especially in Parks and Rec, whether that is – like something that is supposed to be a chance for us to look into the character's mind and we're actually uh, sort of seeing and they're getting a chance to explain their thoughts that are going into this or if it's them actually participating in a documentary style The Office kind of gets to a point later in the seasons where it outright specifically says this is the documentary and plays with that sort of line becoming a part of the story. But Parks and Rec does that very, very little. Um, And I kind of like that because it gives you a chance where without even realizing it, you're getting a distinction between what a character presents outside and what they actually genuinely believe or want to tell. And that gives you a little bit more perspective and insight into who they are as a character compared to a show like Friends or Seinfeld where it's it has its format and the characters grow and change over time but I still conceive of those characters as pretty static um, over time whereas I really see Tom Haverford or Ron Swanson or Chris Traeger or Ben Wyatt change over the course of seven seasons and I feel for them a little bit more.
1: I think also in the way this show is set up um, similar to The Office or um, it makes it different from something like Friends is that – and you can see it in, like, the fan bases as well – that people can really relate to certain characters and they call themselves, like, oh, I'm a mix between so-and-so and and -and so-and-so. But I don't think you can necessarily do that with shows like Friends or even, like, New Girl – Just because it, you don't get as much insight as to like one what the character is thinking. With you get those little like pan away, um, floating headshots. Um, But also, I think it it allows people to kind of wonder like, oh, like who would I be if I was in their world? And I think it gives you even more. It brings a whole new level into this show. Also, I thought it was uh, interesting when I was researching for this show. um, I found out that. Cato has a policy analysis where they quote Ron Swanson. Um, So here it goes. In a media world that can only handle a two-dimensional liberal conservative spectrum, it's been great to have one TV star who explains property rights and taxes to millions of viewers. Ron goes too far sometimes, like when he says all government is a waste of money. It's really only 90% waste. There are all kinds of libertarians. Ron Swanson is a meat and potatoes heartland libertarian.
0: He does love meat and potatoes (laughs) right
1: and i just thought i just thought that was fun just because you don't you don't you don't always see um popular media kind of like especially not in a policy analysis but like kind of crossing over into different areas and i thought it was i thought i thought that was
3: a cool little tidbit also a fun note about ron swanson and the libertarianism ness um you know he loves leslie and thinks she does a good job but he also mentions all throughout the entire show that she does a job of like 45 different people which just goes back to his libertarian values you know they don't need 45 people in that parks and rec office it's yeah. she does it all and she's works probably too hard but you know the idea of you don't need to keep expanding government to get good stuff done yeah she's she's not like the epitome of uh work life balance i don't say but. No. <laughs> but she loves it right
1: work
0: is her life right mm-hmm. <laughs> So we have nine questions of Parks and Rec trivia for you. Um, these will be untimed. I'll let you sort of discuss amongst yourselves. Uh, most of them open-ended, a few, multiple choice. Uh, I'll let you know when that comes up. And then there will be a lightning round at the end. You got so, it. So, all right. PNR trivia. Here we go. <clears throat> Curated by me. Leslie is placed on temporary suspension from her government job. During this time, she forms a citizen action committee named what
2: isn't it named like peep or
0: something it's but I something can't...
3: inappropriate it's,
0: yeah. it's uh oh gosh
3: I can uh people it definitely starts with a p it's um it's like an std or something like silly like that <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> I don't know I, I, Wait, I'm not sure committee against committee
1: she loves her acronyms I don't know <laughs>
2: Are these questions getting easier or harder? We don't know. Okay.
0: Okay. All right. We're giving up on (laughs) that one. It is the Parks Committee of Pawnee. Oh, PCP. PCP. Because, like the drug, they are so So fast-acting and powerful that they should be illegal.
1: Dang it. Okay. Sorry. All right. Fine.
0: Number two. There is a member of the Pawnee Parks and Rec Department who got his start as office manager of animal control in 1977. What is his legal name, Gary Gergich?
3: Wait, what's his real name though? No, isn't it? Isn't it Jerry or Gary? Oh, it's Gary. No, I thought, I thought it was Terry. No, Jerry. they start calling him Terry in the last season. They call him Gary, Jerry, Jerry. His real Jerry. name is Gary, but his real name is Gary. Gary right? Gergich. Yeah, we agree on that. Yeah, yeah. Gary Gergich.
0: Yeah. That is correct. Cool. Yay! his his name is actually Gerald Gergich. Yeah, he goes by Gary, but he gets called Jerry by yeah. the office manager of Parks and Rec like on his first day and never corrected right. anyone and Larry and Terry he becomes Jerry he becomes Larry he becomes Terry and then he also has a uh, part on Johnny Karate's oh, yeah. uh oh. TV show as Barry as Mailman Barry yeah and
3: then he becomes um, mayor right he does yeah <laughs> and at
0: that point he's known as Gary because uh at is it Donna's wedding yes so. he puts yeah. the name tag uh, on his plate and April decides to call him Gary, little does she know that's his real name Ugh. number three, what does Tom Haverford call air conditioners?
3: This is nitty gritty um this I's really I'm trying to like, I can picture him saying all of these
0: like obnoxious things obnoxious
3: <laughs> things cool boxes, yeah, it's something like that. It's uh,
1: cool.
0: you're actually pretty close ice box, no, cool. you changed the wrong thing,
1: cool boxes um so, oh, so it's not cool box. cool.
0: You even got the first letter of the second word.
1: Cool bins? Cool.
0: Cool bins?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Starts with I V. I
0: don't know. Cool binders. The correct answer is cool blasters. Okay. Oh. With a Z. Yes. Okay. He yeah, doesn't know where the Z up, came So that from.
3: doesn't count. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we'll see when right. I tally all
1: okay. Have we gotten a point yet? No, I'm okay, this, we this ne-
0: Yeah, only one. <laughs> this next one is multiple choice. Which one of these is not... A compliment Leslie note bestowed upon Ann Perkins. Oh, Ann, you beautiful, naive, sophisticated newborn baby. Oh, Ann, you beautiful, rule-breaking moth. Oh, Ann, you cunning, pliable, chestnut-haired sunfish. Oh, Ann, you sweet, dedicated, brilliant water buffalo. I thought it was I thought, B. I think but it's B. I think it's, it's B. B or D. The D others... doesn't sound familiar, but sophisticated newborn baby. That one's That's a definite. beautiful yeah. rule-breaking moth. Cunning, pliable chestnut-haired sunfish. That one. Yeah. Sweet, dedicated, brilliant water buffalo. It has to be it's B. It's B. Beautiful rule-breaking moth. Yeah. Yeah. That is incorrect. <gasps> Dang.
3: What did she
1: say that? I Why, was it, don't it the water remember. buffalo one? It
0: is the sweet, dedicated, brilliant water buffalo.
1: Dang it! That
3: was my other option.
0: He does. She does call she- Anne a brilliant, powerful musk ox. Oh, another yeah. beast of burden. You tricky. Um, Why
3: is she a moth? I don't
0: She's remember a, that one. I don't one. remember. I'm I'll have to look that up. up the context. I'm going to for- look
1: that up to make sure you're not. We'll post a clip on our
0: Twitter. Up. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Pod. <laughs> That's pop, the letter <laughs> N, lock with an e pod. <laughs> Number five. Pawnee cult, The Reasonableists, Sacred Text was written by one Lou Prozodovich, an office supply salesman and author. He wrote two books Organize It, his first hit, and this second book.
1: I remember the Organize This, but I. Organize It Too?
0: Half credit. Okay. Organize It Too? Mm, I don't know. Organize It Too? Engage with Zorp. Oh,
3: oh my yeah. god! Okay, we get a half point.
0: Yeah, I'll give you a half point for that. I don't she think you'd sort. be getting all these trivia. Oh, so- I would be getting all of these. Are you okay. kidding me? How do you make Joan Calamezzo's signature cocktail, the Joan? It's
2: like Xanax and <laughs>
3: something like <laughs> that, not right? Not no, at all. <laughs>
2: it's
0: like Xanax, Xanax, stuffed PCP? in olives
2: and Spanish olives. That seems no, like close. Nah, I got it. It is
0: a tumbler filled with gin with crushed aspirin <laughs> around the rim. <laughs> right.
1: So is, is so, so hard. hard. Okay. I knew
3: they were, she put some sort of medicine yeah. on it.
0: Which one of these is not a title of a Duke Silver album? Oh, God. A. Memories of Now. That is B. Funny. Smooth as Silver. Uh, C. Bathtub Full of Jazz. D.
2: Hi-ho, Duke. I think it's B.
0: Smooth as silver? Yeah, I'm
2: almost, I'm like 99%. I was going to
1: say B or C. Yeah. If you're, sh- we can go with B. Let's go with B. B?
0: Smooth as silver, final answer? Yes. That is incorrect. Dang
1: it! Why did you say that a so positive? Tub
0: full of jazz. Was that C? Correct. Yeah. Which he does yeah, say. He always used to say, yeah, He says... Like a- he that's, says at one
3: point... That's not fair. Because <laughs> I remember him saying that. We're going to fire <laughs> the host the of trivia. When do they host say the names of the albums? Are we just supposed to remember They're the
0: posters? They're sprinkled throughout. No, yeah, he says them all the, at some he, point. Yeah, In his first ever appearance, he... Um, he has Smooth as Silver and Hi-Ho Duke on sale at the concert. Oh, yes. And he says, look out for his new album, Memories of Now. And then when they're recording yeah, Catch Your Dream, the theme song for the Nope campaign, the poster for the cover of Memories of Now is up in the recording studio. Oh, yeah. And he has to hide the poster. OK, number eight. What historic event did Parks and Rec correctly predict three years ahead of time? So there was there was an event that happened in the future. And they remember when they flashed forward? What event do they reference in the flash forward that actually happened three years later?
1: Wait, so it's it, it already happened. So it happened in the show and then it, it happened it in real happened, life.
0: It, yes. Okay. It happened in the show but had not happened in real life. Yes and then when okay. they got to that point in real life. The thing they predicted as like a joke actually happened.
2: Oh. So the seventh season, I think, came out in 2014 or about about 13, 14 15. And, yeah. but it was actually about the year 2017. Correct. Right. So. so I will say to clarify, this is an
0: event that happened in 2016, both in the show and in okay. real life. But the show was made before 2016. So what happened in 2016 that in Parks and Rec they made a joke about but then actually happened?
2: The only thing that comes to mind is the Game of Thrones finale that didn't happen until this last year. And when they talk (laughs) about the Game of Thrones finale, they say Khaleesi is going to marry Jack Sparrow. And I I watched that episode (laughs) recently and I was like, well, that's better than what actually happened. Yeah, honestly, a better ending than we got for sure. Um, All right, are we know. giving up? Yeah. No.
1: What are big things that happened in 2016 that they could have predicted?
3: I guess we give up. This is really I, hard. I
1: give up.
0: It is the Chicago Cubs 2016 World, World Series, Series win. win. Mm. Yeah.
3: I remember that now. Oh, yeah.
0: They predicted well, that. Well,
3: I blame you because I never would have known yeah. that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's Natalie's fault. <laughs> yeah. Not the person who wrote the bad question. Number nine.
1: Let me show oh my, my pitch for it. There's
0: one more and then we'll do lightning round.
1: Okay. Hopefully, lightning round's
3: easier.
0: I thought you guys would be better than this. What is the name of Burt Macklin's brother? It's, it's Kirk.
3: It's a, yeah, it's a similar name,
0: right? Hackman? I'll give you half credit. It's Kip Hackman. Kip Hackman. Oh yeah, different okay, last Hackman names. Yes. Correct. Kip Why Hackman. would you have different last names? Yeah. Kyle says. yeah, yeah. All right. So I think we're at uh, two points total.
3: <laughs> I think you can give us the half points as full
0: points. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so three points total. And, like,
3: the PCP one, I knew it was like a funny thing, so that should be a half point, right? The Xanax. I knew it, and yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it uh, was like Xanax five hours. The <laughs> we know. We know. It wasn't even Adderall; it was Aspirin. <laughs> <laughs> All right, lightning round. You have 30 seconds to name as many other names of Andy Dwyer's band Mouse Rat as possible. Just say them out loud and I will keep track of them.
2: Rat Mouse was the one. Start.
0: Mouse Rat is the one. Go ahead.
3: Rat Mouse, Scarecrow Boat. Mouse um, trap. Right, right? Mouse of oh, um. uh, what was before? Scarecrow boat. Uh, they were. Oh my gosh! There's so many funny
2: ones. Andy's super fun band. I feel like that was. I don't think no. that
3: counts. Oh, it might. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Johnny Karate. There's a lot about like Can we um, call it apocalypse, like death uh, or something. There's one about politics.
1: I have no I idea. I, I don't pick up on the nuances like past, that. 30 seconds have already passed, but I'm going to give you
2: another
3: 30. I have sent these to my friends before because, like, if we ever start a band. Yeah. And, yeah, and I can't actually remember them. 15 but, seconds remain. But we got, <laughs> Ra- we got Ratmos and Scarepo- Scarecrow Boat.
0: 10 seconds. I don't. I'm I don't so know.
3: disappointed in myself. This is. Yeah. I'm going
1: to go back and study. So sad. I don't remember nuances like this.
0: All right. You got uh, two. Two. Mouse and Scarecrow Boat.
2: Okay. Is there more than two? There's, there's, there's like 15. There's
0: like
1: 10. Oh. There's a lot.
3: Okay. He lists them off in the same episode where oh, yeah. where April mentions the German death reggae and the oh, Halloween oh, yeah. stuff.
0: I'll give you just a select few. Some of the big ones. Uh, Angel snack. Oh, yeah. Crack finger. Yep. Department of Homeland Obscurity. Oh, it was yes, there related, it was. Yeah. Eagle Eye Tiger. Eagle, Eye, Eagle Tiger. Eye Tiger, new band name I call it, that one. Uh, Fleetwood Mac Sex Pants. Oh, yes. Or just Fleetwood, Fleetwood Mac. Mac. <laughs>
1: yeah. I call uh, it.
0: <laughs> Jet Black Pope. Muscle Confusion.
1: I don't remember that uh, one, Jet Black puppy Pope. Puppy
0: Pendulum. Teddy Bear Suicide. Oh, yeah, teddy, teddy Bear two Suicide. Two Doors Down.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, instead so, of three.
0: And I'm gonna give it to you just cause I would feel bad Rat Mouse is technically only an alternate name of the band when they're playing without Andy but it's still they, a name of the band and I'll, still, I'll allow that so we are at uh, Teddy
3: Bear Suicide is my favorite <laughs> so e-
0: even if we give you the five points that you received we in had the first a dismal round effort.
3: we're now
1: at seven <laughs> dismal effort everyone Really proud of you. y'all. Well, this is
3: like, can we end it on a happier note? Because I'm really disappointed.
0: (laughs) We can do that. We can do that. So it is time for a new segment here on Pop and Lock, where we talk about the other pieces of media that we're all consuming. This is Locked In. Natalie, what have you been consuming lately?
1: I am not ashamed to say that I'm a big Bachelor fan. Um, don't think we're going to be talking about it on Pop and Lock because there's not a whole never say never. lot of um, political ties to The Bachelor, but you, you never know. Um, so I've been following Reality Steve and th- following The Bachelor show as a whole. Very, very excited for the new Bachelor spinoff. Um, listen to your heart. Um, I cannot sing. I do think it'll bring a, a lot of uh, comedic Wait, relief to my a, life. Wait, is singing, it's a singing yeah. love? Oh, show? you have no idea. Idea. The Bachelor franchise is just getting bigger and bigger. And what they're doing is they Do brought... they wear
0: masks? No like The Masked Singer. <laughs> the
1: masked singer bachelor. <laughs> I would love it.
0: The masked bachelor. The that's masked what they should do. yeah
1: And make them Muppets. <laughs>
0: the masked Muppet, Muppet Bachelor Singer. <laughs> bachelor singer.
1: <laughs> anyway, so that's
2: kind of what I've been watching. I also um been catching up on Westworld. I'm also watching The Bachelor. Here is my campaign to get on The Bachelor. <laughs> I am not there to date a 28-year-old man-child that still lives with his parents. <laughs> I am fierce. there to make 30 new gal pal best friends. <laughs> One in every state. Not every state, but a lot of states. Free places to crash when I travel. Yeah. And I, as some people in this room can attest to, tend to be the mother hen of whatever, whatever group I fall into. True. And therefore, I will just be like... The department therapist on The Bachelor, and it will be a much more productive. Bachelor but, season. but you'll have
1: to create some drama so that they don't vote you out. Well, they're I all will, twenty-two, I so I they
2: think are. there will be some some drama. Yeah, yeah. And I am twenty. I'm twenty-seven, so I'm you know old and wise. Way too old to be on The Bachelor. So.
0: Uh, I will say, I I did receive a callback to be on The Bachelor when I was eighteen years old.
3: 18? Mm-hmm. They allow 18 year olds?
0: Almost, on the almost. Well, I, you're I so should ready also for say I, <laughs> I, I wasn't even 18. I, I received a callback for the show. If we can double the amount of Twitter followers on our Twitter, I will tell the story on air. Otherwise, it's just a mystery. How did you miss out on me, host of Pop and Lock, being on The Bachelor? <laughs> Twitter will have to decide whether they want to know why. I guess so.
3: All right, Lauren, what have you been up to? Um, well, Homeland's final season just premiered. Um, I was going to wait and watch it all at once, but I immediately watched both episodes as they aired. I love that show so much. They are talking about the Afghan peace talks right now, like as it's sort of happening in real life. I just love that show so much. Yeah. Um, I also am watching Outsider is a new show oh, on yeah. HBO. Mm-hmm. Um, it's based on the Ste- Stephen King novel. As I mentioned, I like spooky things. Um, it's really good. It's it's not like really creepy if people are worried about watching it. It's more of like a mystery kind of How would you true rate crime. it to other HBO shows you've seen? It's good. It's a little slower. You okay. definitely have to be dedicated to, to the journey, I guess, um, because it, it is sort of a true crime Story. They're trying to figure out what happened. So it's not super, super exciting, but it's really good. Um, And then last podcast on the left is my favorite podcast. I listen to it all day, every day. They're currently talking about uh, JFK assassination. Um, So they're they're basically telling Lee Harvey Oswald's story. They're going to talk about JFK and then they're going to go into all the conspiracy theories. But um, it's a true crime horror comedy podcast um it's a little weird but i love it i listen to it every day highly recommend it after you listen to this podcast of course
0: (laughs) (laughs) uh i am currently watching a lot of they're on twitch but i watch it on youtube i watch a lot of critical role which is a dungeons and dragons uh streaming show um i hate you (laughs) If you watched it, you would understand. Um, I have watched all and I'm currently up to date with the second campaign that they've been doing since 2016.
3: Wait, you're not playing it. You're watching people. No, play I'm watch-
0: it? I- well, I am playing it. I'm playing it a- on Thursday nights, I- Wednesday nights, Wednesday nights. Um, Thursday nights is my other game with some people oh, here. The I-, I think I got confused. It- it's I know it's a lot to keep. You know, there's so much fun stuff that I do. <laughs> for you to you know really keep track of Uh, yeah no i'm just watching people play but they're all professional voice actors so they're um you like a lot of people that are in like cartoons or movies that you would actually probably recognize their voices but they play dungeons and dragons and they do it it's the same story and they've been doing it for like over two years at this point and i've watched all of their like second season how many
1: like views do these things have
0: Oh, uh, two. No, millions. Yeah. They like a currently, lot. I think, hold the record for the highest earning Kickstarter in the film and TV category. They earned like $11 million Holy to do an animated special, and now it's two seasons, and Amazon bought it.
1: Yeah. I saw, I knew that Amazon had bought it. Interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. So it's really cool, really funny, but like also really interesting. Obviously, the episodes are like three and a half to four hours long. So Holy. it takes a lot to get into it. <laughs> But if you liked Under the Dragons, that's longer probably than the heard Titanic. Them, but yeah. yeah, and that's one, they do that know. once a week. They do that once a week, Natalie. And there are like 70, no, at this point, there's like 90 episodes of just the one season. And there's a whole other one that's like 100, more than 100 episodes. It's great. Um, I wish people so, what could see you're our faces. <laughs> so. What
1: you're yeah. telling me is that you have spent all of these hours of
3: your life watching someone else. Play a game. It's the same campaign. How have they not died in two years?
1: They, I don't know. Some how that of them works, have died but... and
0: been brought back to life. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Like a soap opera. Because magic.
1: I can't wait till next week when we hear more about it. Yeah. You're going to have to give us updates every week. Uh, now.
0: Also, I highly recommend Radiolab's new uh, series, The Other Latif, is really fascinating. Uh, Latif Nasser, one of their producers realized that he had the same name as a detainee at Guantanamo uh, and is sort of going through and trying to learn about his case, how he became a detainee, and uh, sort of understand who he is as a person. But it's really fascinating and I highly recommend it. Thanks for listening. If you want to let us know what you think of Ronald Ulysses Swanson as a libertarian, or just want to find out how I didn't get to participate in the most dramatic rose ceremony yet, make sure to follow us on Twitter at popandlockpod. That's pop, the letter N, lock with an E, pod. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. We look forward to unraveling your favorite show or movie next time. Pop and Lock is produced by me, Landry Ayres, as a project of libertarianism.org. To learn more, visit us on the web at www.libertarianism.org.